Welcome. I'm Gretchen Keith-Steidel, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast, stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this 10-part series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practice, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Maureen Pelton, co-founder of Shifted Institute, and one way I cultivate the soul is I choose unconditional love. Charlie Hartwell, co-founder of the Shifted Institute, one thing that defines a change-driven leader is authenticity. We are joined by Maureen Pelton and Charlie Hartwell. Maureen is a social scientist and mystic who's dedicated her life to shifting the consciousness of humanity and institutions. She has served as an integrative psychotherapist, coach, spiritual teacher, and group facilitator. Charlie has been an entrepreneur since second grade. His early career led him through Wall Street to Harvard Business School and involved positions in 16 different industries but a series of spiritual awakenings led him to his current path. Today, Charlie is the managing director of Bridge Builders Collaborative, a group of investors focused on mental wellness, consciousness, and spirituality-based startups. Together, Maureen and Charlie founded the Shifted Institute with a mission to ignite consciousness, inspire human potential, and create paradigm shifts at both a personal and institutional level. Their full bios are available on our podcast website. Learn how this unique partnership of mystical spirituality and impact investing is advancing a whole field of new approaches for deepening human consciousness. So I am so thrilled to have a chance to talk with you both today. And I want to start our conversation with a couple of stories. I'm wondering if each of you could share a story from your childhood that helps us understand your earliest exposure to religion, inner awareness, or a sense of spirituality and how it shaped you. I'm happy to start because this is foundational to who I am. I remember from a very, very young age feeling a connection to the divine. And I was raised Catholic and practiced my spirituality or my love of God through Catholicism in the beginning because that was the religion I was exposed to. And then at 18, I realized that for me personally, religion was limiting and I left the church and I really explored religion and found that just about every religion I could study was patriarchal and paternalistic. And so I could not find a religion. And so I really committed to a relationship to something greater than myself personally and started reading lots of books and exploring spirituality. And then when I was 21, I had a spontaneous mystical experience that changed my life and propelled me on this path that I'm on. And I've had several since, but but that was the turning point 
because I knew after that experience that I was an energetic being in physical form having a human experience. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about that spontaneous experience? Yes. I had to have back surgery because I was born with an anomaly in my back and in my reproductive system. And so I was having the surgery before my senior year of college so that once I graduated, um, I could go into the world. And the night before the surgery, I was told by the doctor that I may not wake up, that I may be paralyzed. I mean, just he went over all the possibilities. And without any medication or drugs, I was alone in my room the night before the surgery. And because I was a deeply spiritual person, I started to pray. And I had a moment where I surrendered. I completely completely surrendered, which most people don't understand. It wasn't an intellectual experience. It was a full cellular experience of being willing to not wake up, being willing to transition into the other world, being willing to be paralyzed, being willing to surrender to the divine, to whatever would unfold. I knew I was powerless, but I also knew that my power came in the choice I was making to have the surgery. So I did have power, which was the choice, and I was choosing to have the surgery, but I was powerless once I went into the surgery. So I completely surrendered, and in that moment of deep cellular surrender, I dissolved into this experience, and I don't know how to explain it. There's no words for it, but I was in the oneness. I was with the great mother, the unconditional love. I had a complete download and teaching. And when I came out of it, I was in ecstatic joy. And when I went into surgery, I was in ecstatic joy. I mean, the (laughs) doctors and nurses were a little concerned because they said most people don't come into surgery in this way. But I came into it. (laughs) And I had the surgery. And when I came out of the surgery, I was in ecstatic joy. And I recovered beautifully and much more quickly than had been predicted. And I knew then my life, I was going to graduate from college and go to law school. And I chose to graduate from college and go to graduate school because I wanted to find a context for what I had experienced. And it was a very lonely time, my senior year in college and going into grad school, because I couldn't really talk about it. If I tried, no one understood, but I wasn't going to give up in finding some context for what had happened. And that's what then propelled me down this path of, I guess, a spiritual quest, but also a quest of unconditional love and liberation. Wow. I got chills. Thank you for sharing such a sacred Mm -hmm. experience. I want to come back to what's next for you. But first, Charlie, can you tell us a a story from your childhood of your earliest exposure to spirituality or religion and how it shaped you? Yeah, I grew up in a very sort of upscale part of the Midwest outside of Minneapolis. And around fourth grade, I became a born-again Christian. It was very different than what would sort of be expected in that community. It was, uh, all I can say is I had a love of God, and the only way that I could express it in the context that I knew was to go as far out into religion as I could. 
And, you know, I became born again. I was in middle school. I was carrying Bibles around school, trying to convert people. I was very passionate about that. And only because that's the only context that I had. But, you know, I was baptized twice in the Jordan River. I was slain in the spirit at probably in fifth grade or something. I was speaking in tongues and it was something I was so passionate about. And that, uh, that was a context. One thing that was really clear is that evangelicals were superior to all religions, including Catholicism. And so Marina and I laugh about that because Catholics thought the same thing. As I grew up, uh, that all sort of shifted. And, and like Marine, there was a time when I gave up religion because I came to an understanding that there was no man-made religion that could contain the love that I have for something that's mm. greater than ourselves. So when did you each find a sense of purpose through this deep spiritual seeking? On one level, I always knew it. I just didn't have words for it. As you said in the introduction, I was an entrepreneur early in my life. I was always doing things that were, you know, creating change. I remember going around the neighborhood with petitions at eight, sixth or seventh grade trying to save whales and dolphins. Wherever I went, I wanted to create change in a system. And whether that was starting a business or a nonprofit or whatever, that's just kind of how things played out in my life. How about for you, Maureen? Yeah, I would say that first spontaneous mystical experience gave me a sense of purpose. Since I knew I was an energetic being of unconditional love, that's the path that I wanted to walk. And I would say, then I spent my 20s, I was working in the world, but when I wasn't working, I was studying and going, you know, I started yoga 35 years ago and meditation and studying with a lot of different teachers and studying a lot of modalities and finding, I've never had a guru. I've always taken what I want and left the rest. And I was finding my own way, but I would say really my sense of purpose of wanting to create a new world that involves liberation and unconditional love was probably in my early thirties after my daughter was born, because I realized if I didn't get clear and live my purpose, what was I modeling to my daughter? So I really committed to my purpose after she was born. And she is pure joy and unconditional love. So I needed to step up. So you've had a chance to study through so many different modalities. Has there been one particular practice that has served you most or that has been responsible for some of your most profound transformative moments outside of the spontaneous and extraordinary moment you told us about before? Yes, Gretchen, breath work. Ah. You will you will resonate with that. <laughs> there are so many amazing modalities. There really are. And none of them work for everyone. You have to find your own. But breath work by far for me personally in my training and then working with others is by far the most transcendent and profoundly healing. For those who might not know as much about what that is, can you explain a little bit more? Well, for me, it's, it's a big spectrum because it's anything from Andrew Weil, the integrative medicine physician, who came up with the 478 breath for anxiety and sleep to all the way to, you know, the polyvagal theory of breath work, which helps to stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system, but really all the way to connected breath work. And then there's a variety of breath techniques 
in that spectrum. But that's where that form of connected breath work is where we can go into trance states or go into altered states and really shift. But I really think all of the different modalities work. It's almost as if you can, for anything that you need, there's a prescription of a different form of breath that can serve you in some way. Charlie, how about for you? What practice has served you best over time? When did you discover it and what wisdom have you gained from practicing? There hasn't been one consistent thing that I would say, you know, works for me. But if I was to choose one, I would say nature is kind of a place of inspiration. And I've gone on several spiritual journeys with Maureen, actually, both before we were married and after we've been married. And to me, those have been some of the greatest time of connecting to some of sacred places, sacred energies or whatever. Those have been quite transformative moments for me in my life. Is there any place or experience that you want to share more about that holds a special place in your heart? Well, I think the most transformative journey that I've been on was actually a retreat that, uh, or a spiritual journey that Maureen led. Again, we were friends at the time, and she led the group to Peru. The energies that she held for the group, the energies that she brought through and experiencing just some remarkable things that happened on that journey. It was one of the most transformative 10 days of my life. I'm a musician and I came away from this experience. Like it just, an album just like came. I wrote, <laughs> basically the album was pretty much written by the time that we left, just based on the experiences that we, that we had. And it was transformative. It was life-changing. The experience kicked my ass. It was like being on a psychedelic for 10 days in many respects. It was just the energies that were there, the energies Marine held, brought through the whole group and in the sacred energy there. It was just remarkable and things happen that just are unexplainable. You make me curious. What is the album? <laughs> Can we get a taste? Oh, it's called Pilgrimage. It's on Spotify. Just Pilgrimage by Charlie Hartwell. Nice. Thank you. So it seems like you inspire each other quite deeply. I'm wondering, do you practice together? What's a typical day like for both of you together? Well, we start off the day in service. Maureen wakes up, I get her coffee <laughs> <laughs> or I get her refills. Uh, and it's great because there's a place in our bedroom where there's a chair that she sits in with a dog and just looks out over this beautiful mountains that we live in in Park City and she gets a first cup, but then I'm, I'm in service for the next couple cups. I don't know if it, there is a typical day. I will say that, yes, we do practice together. Maureen, you can talk more about that, but we practice together and we practice life together. We're in what we call a sacred union, which is not about being married per se, although we are. It's about being in partnership and in service to a force greater than ourselves. And we do that through parenting. We do that through business. We do that through life. We do that through laughter and travel. So there's not a typical day. And that's one of the beautiful things about it is that we experience so many different things together. That is truly beautiful. I'd like to add that Charlie gets up a couple of hours before me. <laughs> so he's up and raring to go and I get up and I need my coffee. I need at least a cup before I start listening and, and checking in. 
Yeah, we do practice together. We do a lot of embodiment exercises, grounding. We do a lot of checking in because of my abilities, you know, we'll be in the hot tub and I will, something will come through and then I will check with him and we might explore that. You know, I think the biggest practice is we're playful and joyful, but always checking in. And Charlie has a tendency to be a little bit more transactional than me. So if he starts to do that, I'll say, whoa, you're being a little transactional. Can we connect? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but again, he's been up a couple hours before, before me. The level of authenticity and connection is what's essential. I'm about experience-based awareness, not about thought-based knowledge, so our practice is to be in that authentic experience-based awareness in the present moment. Our kids, when they come, they step into that too. So it's just a different way of operating. It sounds like a whole different level of harmony and connection than probably most of us get to experience with our families. And a nice invitation that there's a different way. There's a different way to partner. Now, you work together, too, from this orientation, and I'd love to invite you to tell us about the Shift It Institute. You have a mission of expanding human consciousness, igniting potential, and shifting paradigms. How are you doing that? I mean, I'll start by saying many different ways. How we are in the world, how we engage in the world. I mean, whether I'm coaching or I'm serving on a board or I'm looking at a company or advising a company, I do it in a way in which I'm holding space for a new way of being and a new level of consciousness. And, you know, it's an invitation. And sometimes it's a little confrontational, maybe is the word. <laughs> and really kind of pushing beyond the patriarchal paradigm the dualistic paradigm and into the paradoxical paradigm or the dynamic stillness paradigm. Can you say more about what that looks like? The duality paradigm is either or. The paradox paradigm is both and. So that's a shift right there. It is both and. But the dynamic stillness paradigm is all is. It's a very different orientation. This is where we are energetic beings in physical form having a human experience and the moment and the connection and the embodiment and the awareness is what is essential. From that place, insight, I want to say magic, I know people don't like that word, but maybe mystery is better, can be accessed and transmitted. And that's a lot of what I do. Whereas Charlie, and he can speak more of this, he's more of the grounded method. Yeah, so my work as managing director of Bridge Builders Collaborative, a group of investors who came together nine years ago, I'd say kind of to create a new global industry or movement around sort of mindfulness, compassion, consciousness, and spirituality. We do that through investing in startup companies. They're for-profit companies with great purposes and missions, but we support entrepreneurs who have ideas that can uh, help provide invitations for people to connect more deeply with themselves, to connect more deeply with others, to connect more deeply with something greater than themselves. And we've been doing that work for 10 years. We were the first professional investors that I know of that uh, were focused on that space. And we've really been helping to be the ground floor of building a new 
sort of global movement and industry around that space. Can you give me an example of one of the kinds of investments that are really embodying your your perspective on this deeper level of commitment to a whole different paradigm? Yeah, I'd say, you know, one that I just point out is uh, is Insight Timer. So Insight Timer is a platform. I'm mean, just going to call it a platform of abundance. There are 10,000 teachers from multiple traditions teaching on the platform in 44 languages to a community that includes about 500,000 people every day who are all on their own, wherever they are in their journey, they can find something that connects with them at that place in their journey through a teacher that makes sense for them. The platform is also freely available. I think there are something like 60,000 free meditations now on the platform so that it's accessible to everyone, taught by diverse teachers. They split a significant amount of their money that they earn with their teachers so that it's a platform of where teachers not only can connect to a global audience, but that they can make a living, hopefully, over a period of time or a part of a living teaching on Insight Timer to a global audience. And what I like about the business is it's really a way for people to develop a community of practice that serves them with ways to connect with teachers or other communities in ways that support your personal growth. So that's, that's one example of a company that I think is doing a great job. That reach is quite extraordinary. I'm curious what you think. The more that mindfulness and other personal practices are gaining momentum in the mainstream, especially in the West, it is often as an entry point for one's own benefit, you know, for stress reduction or greater health or burnout, that people pursue these practices. But I'm also wondering, as they are investing in that kind of personal transformation over time, do you have any hopes to see that that benefit begins to extend beyond them and from a more pro-social orientation in the way that they start to perceive their role in the world? You know, I started yoga and meditation 36 years ago. And the truth is, I started yoga after my back surgery because the doctor had said, you know, he had told me I probably wouldn't be able to run. I was running marathons and I wouldn't be as flexible. So I found yoga and yoga, by the way, back then is not what it is today. It was really Eastern yoga. And it was really about the postures were part of it, but it was really about breath and meditation and presence and a way of living and meditation. And so I started doing that and I started bringing it into my work in the world. I was in the corporate world doing executive coaching and organizational development and employee assistance programs. And I started to bring it into the corporate world. This was quite some time ago. And I stuck with it. And what I say, when people ask me that the question you asked, which is a really, really important question, what I say is if you are meditating or doing yoga or some type of contemplative practice, personal development, if you're really doing it, you reach a point where the only option is to become a social activist. <laughs> I mean, you cannot not... Because, yes, in the beginning, it was personal. I want to get more focused. I, I mean, it's different for different people. I want to manage my stress, get more focused, whatever it might be, improve my health. But if you really stick with it, that happens. And then you reach this point where 
I need to be of service to something greater than myself. And what's causing all this stress and anxiety and poor health is the system we're living in. So how do we start to shift the system? This is the paradigm shift. And I got involved 25, I don't know, years ago in integrative health and trying to push that boulder up a mountain. And that's been challenging. It's not evolved as quickly as I would like it to. But then I also got involved in women's rights and racial rights and the intersectionality of gender and race. And I could not because I'm a privileged white woman. I had to, to go deeper. So your question is just a burning question I'm always living in. So thank you for asking it. <laughs> I just want to add to that because I was going to say that it was about three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago, Maureen said to me from an investment perspective, she said to me, Charlie, Bridge Builders has been investing in the gateway drugs to higher levels of consciousness. It's time to go deeper. When I'm wise, I listen to her and then I integrate. And it was true. We had, you know, we could point to like 100 million people that were meditating on platforms that we'd invested in. And a lot of that was to help people with, you know, stress reduction or to take 10 minutes a day to, again, in Marine's words, to help manage the unacceptable. So when Marine said that, all of a sudden within our investment group, we met a new partner who was completely dedicated to the consciousness and spirituality space. Our other partners came at a strategic session and said, look, what we, you know, what we were investing in early on, it doesn't need our money anymore. Like there's so many mindfulness apps. There's plenty of money that is chasing that field. What are we going to do now? And we went through a strategic process that really said, how do we invite people to go deeper? And our whole strategy now is, is going deeper because it exactly mimics what you're talking about is if you get people into the, the practice, where are their invitations to go further than that? And that's what we're focused on now. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If mindfulness and meditation are the gateway drug to higher consciousness, how do you help people do that? Either you have the pathway of technology that allows greater accessibility to teachers and tools, but does that compromise the kind of experiential journey that comes with a single teacher or a single practitioner? How do you take people there and still reach the scale that we need to be able to shift our whole consciousness as a society? So we've invested in 16 different companies. I've looked at probably now 1,500 companies or something like that in this space. I think the beauty of it is there's no one right way. And even within platforms, we tend to like platforms that allow people to sort of customize their journey where their needs are. So I think there's a, a lot of an oppor opportunities to help people find that teacher that's good for them in the moment, that course that's, that's going to ignite them to sort of their next level of inquiry. And where I think some power is from a technology perspective, and a couple of our companies are, are actually working on this, is to get good enough at assessments with people so that you can really understand where someone is in, in their own personal journey. And then you can make recommendations to them based on another form of research of like what might be good for them at where they are today. And so that is a way I think we can help people at both an entry level, but then to go deeper. Even being able to assess the process of personal transformation is such a challenge. 
I'm wondering, Maureen, this is like the depth of your work is this space that supports people and institutions in their evolution. How does this inner work have an impact on our outer manifestation in the world? And how do we assess where we are in that journey? That's a really good question. I certainly don't have the answer to that question, but I have my own experience or perspective I can share because everyone's journey is personal. And part of the liberation is to really know we are unconditional love and that we have personal sovereignty. So I've never been a big advocate for one guru or one teacher and that's it. Things shift and change. And I think the biggest piece is if, if we're doing our inner work, the external world is going to reflect where we are. So it's going to, for me, there, you know, as I've done my work and continue to do my work, I'm continuing to do my work 36 years into this. It's about ease and synchronicity and synergy and, and really listening when things come up. There's trauma in our bodies, not just from this lifetime. There's this whole field of epigenetics and, and our lineage. And so when stuff comes up, what is our intention when the stuff comes up? Intention is everything. If something comes up, I just went to a body worker recently and he said, you know, I think you're holding on some, to some trauma in your right shoulder. Are you open to going to get to some cranial sacral, which I've done before? And I'm like, really? I've got, I haven't cleared all my trauma yet. I mean, jokingly inside myself, I'm like, really? I have more trauma? I thought I cleared it all. No, I haven't. And so I'm like, yes, I'm open to, to trying the cranial sacral and seeing what happens. And I think that's the biggest piece for people is that we're never done. It's not a destination. It's a journey. If I can clear as much as I can in this lifetime, that's what I can do. And so what is the intention? Again, is the intention to keep evolving and transforming and healing and being of more service and being able to hold more space for others? You know, if that's the intention, you continue to grow and the outside world will reflect that because that's what's in your inside world. You know, and this is part of the challenge uh, when we look at companies is we have an entrepreneur, a wonderful person who's like, oh, I did a retreat for a weekend and now I'm going to start a company. <laughs> like, nope, you have to do your own work. You have to integrate <laughs> and then talk about that. It's an ongoing process. And intentionality is really significant. It reminds us we're never quite there. There's always more to do and uncover. What is next for you both that you're most excited about right now? Healing the trauma in my right shoulder. <laughs> I think what I'm most excited about is we had two of our three children with us for a year because of COVID. They live and work in New York City and they were able to work from our home. Now they're both back in New York City and we are child free. And I'm the blessing for COVID for me was to have my 26 and eight year old daughters with us, which I never would have dreamed of for a year. But now the blessing of COVID being over is they're going back to their life in New York City. And so 
for me, what I'm looking forward to is a reset with Charlie. Like it's just the two of us and our little dog, Cookie. Our intentionality has been around our family and our health and all that's been going on in the world this past year. And now I want to take a pause and say, what's next for us, the two of us? So that's what I'm most excited about. And again, it'll be about intention setting. Beautiful. Charlie, what would you add to that? What she said is what I'd add to that. <laughs> Personally, there, the one thing that I'll just add that I'm excited about is being, you know, sort of past this phase of COVID, hoping there's not other phases, but like, I'm really excited to be back on the hockey rink. I'm a hockey player. I haven't played in a year. I'm excited, actually, to, to travel, both for work, and I'm excited to find times to travel with Maureen. I think Maureen, who normally is the instigator of this, she said this to me the other day, like, when I get back from New York, let's sit down and, and talk about what's next. And I was like, wow, that's it's time to do that. Our life is changing you know, our kids are no longer with us. It's like empty nesting again. The wonderful thing is we have each other. And so what do we want to do with that on all of these different levels? And one of the things I just appreciate about our partnership is it's on so many different levels that what a gift just to be able to like go back and say, okay, what is next? What do we want to be next? And then the beauty and having lived with Maureen, you know, as a partner, that this intention setting and really being sort of thoughtful and about our intentions. It's like what has manifested because of when we've done this in the past, it's truly remarkable when you look back and say, oh my God, we set in this intention. And then to think that we could have created what actually happened, it's remarkable. I think that's what's next. Mm. Well, it has been a gift. It has been a true gift. And remarkable as well to spend this time with you and to feel the depth of your love and intention. Thank you so much. Is there a place where people can go to learn more about your work? Um, yes. So shiftit.com is our website, shiftit.com. And I am a teacher on Insight Timer. Um, I teach, I have free embodiment practices, and then I have a course on conscious breathing. <laughs> and I have a course coming out on boundaries. Excellent. Thank you so much. Charlie, any other additional resources that you want to share? I write a blog on Medium, which kind of keeps people up to speed on what is happening in the industry that we serve. Both Maureen and I are on LinkedIn. Easy to find us there. And then we're on Twitter as well. bbcollaborative.com. That's the investment group that I serve. And uh, bbcollaborative.com. Thank you so much. It has been quite a joy to spend this last hour with you. And I thank you for all the incredibly important work that you're doing in the world. Thank, thank you. Gretchen. Appreciate this time. Cultivate the Soul is presented by Synergos, copyright 2021. To learn more, visit Synergos.org and find more episodes at Synergos.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.